Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm your host, Nathan Staples, and joining me this week are Eric Devin and Philip Bargiel. Sunday saw a multiplex that was a feast for the eyes with storylines almost across the board. But who got stronger on this penultimate lap of the league uh, season and who is limping across the line? All of that and more after the latest headlines. Liga's penultimate match day was filled with thrills and spills and with none of the bottom five yet mathematically safe, the relegation battle will roll until the season's bitter end. In Fossumet, Bastia won behind closed doors for the second time in as many weeks. Half-time substitute Gail Danich setting up Enzo Crivelli before adding a contender for goal of the season to keep the Corsicans alive in a 2-0 victory over Lorient. Another veteran winger followed in Danich's footsteps in Dijon as Frederic Samaritano notched a goal and an assist to power the hosts 2-0 over Nancy. Caen also played their part, losing 1-0 at home to Rennes to leave the bottom five within four points of each other heading into that final match day. Monaco all but confirmed the title with a 4-0 win over Lille. Rademont Falcao with a brace uh, leading the way as the host made it three wins from three against the northern sides this season. Paris Saint-Germain did their best to chip away at the leaders' advantage in goal difference, winning 5-0 at the Stade Geoffrey Guichard to spoil Christophe Galtier's final home match as Saint-Étienne manager. And in Montpellier, Lyon shook off their midweek defeat to beat the host 3-1, with Alexandre Lacazette assisting Nabil Fakir before adding a brace to take him on to 26 goals for the season. Angers trotted out a somewhat rotated side in Nice, but it was still enough to rebuff the injury-hit hosts 2-0. While in Metz, Ismail Saar was at it again, scoring the host's equaliser in a one-all draw with Toulouse. Marseille were unable to end a 40-year winless run at Bordeaux, but their one-all draw may have proved the result, which sees them clinch fifth place. And finally, uh, Nantes continued their impressive late-season form with their third win in four. 4-1 over local rivals Gangomp, as Emiliano Sara scored twice and an added an assist. In Ligue 2, Troyes' win over Reims saw their opponents eliminated for the battle for promotion, but among the top six, only leaders Strasbourg failed to win, meaning they remain within three points of each other with similar goal differences. The race for the top flight will come down to the very last minute between six sides. How very exciting for Friday evening. And that's all for the news. But remember, for all the latest, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week on the wonderful shores of Monaco who have sent out their party invites. They've bought, bought those banners and T-shirts and the champagne bottles are ready to be uncorked. A 4-0 win at home against Lille has all but sealed the title barring a miraculous 17-goal swing on the final day of the season, and even a point in their rearranged fixture on Wednesday against Saint Etienne will do it for them. But Philip, what a season it has been for them, really, and it's it's practically done. What amazes me is the uh, the fact that a club like Arsenal is actually considering Leonardo Jardim to succeed Arsene Arsene Wenger. And uh, if you look at it, twelve months ago, uh, Wenger was also on board times, and um, Jardim was like it was. Okay, he knocked out he knocked, he knocked out Arsenal, but um, it was it was so far from being a, a serious serious proposition. So fair play to to Jardim, uh, he he completely transformed the club and he transformed the way the way Monaco um, were playing. Basically, they were playing extremely defensive last season. They didn't make uh, the um, the second second spot. Um, they got uh, heavily beaten by uh, by Lyon. Uh, that was 12 months ago. On the, on the, actually, on, it was on the last day. Um, and you got Falcao who was coming back. You had uh, all these um, 
uh, all, all these players who were who were actually quite good, but Monaco was so awful to watch this season. It's been so 100 and 102 goals. Uh, I think this is Page's total of last season, so it says it says a lot. There was um, there was a great debate also uh, last night on Liquid TV saying uh, that Page did not have a bad season because Page do have 83 points. Uh, sorry, that's 86 points. Uh, from uh, from 36 games, so I had uh, say they could have 80, um, 89 um, by the end by the end of the season, which is which is pretty much you know uh, the, the norm for uh, winning a, a 20 team league in in a big league. Um, but Monaco have um, basically said, you know what, 90 points is not going to be enough because we'll win it with more. Uh, will win it with uh, something like 95. I think it will be 95. I think they'll they'll win. Uh, they'll get six points out of their last six games. Saint-Étienne were uh, just, um, I'm, I'm going to say, not really interested in in, in the game, more interested in um, in uh, Christophe Geltier's, um send-off. And it's you know it's a bit of a shame that such a successful manager for the club and had to endure such a heavy defeat. It's not that often that Saint-Étienne loses by five goals to nil at home. Um, so there, there you have it. The thing is, I'm, I'm pretty sure Monaco will win. Uh, will get six points out of six. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that PSG will do everything they can to get those 17 goals they, uh, they have to score against against Caen, uh, because uh, my I, I, I call absolutely awful. And I'm, I will actually be that surprised that this game ends in double figures. Let's talk about the result they got at the weekend, um, Eric. Well, last yesterday evening might be a better way to describe it. It was an, an a comfortable four 0 win again, but that makes it sound like it was it's the norm this season, really, hasn't it? Been for for a team that's now with that win passed over a hundred goals in the league as well. It these kind of results have just become what we expect from Monaco at this moment, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really was almost, you could say, a compendium of the way that they attack. Um, Lille didn't lay down. I, I think that they, you could even say they dominated most of the first half. They had more possession. They had more shots. Uh, Nime Sleety in particular had a good match. I think that we shouldn't forget that Lille are, with the change they're experiencing in the season of managers, and Marcel Bielsa coming in for Franck Classy, uh, a lot of these players are, are playing to catch Bielsa's eye. So they're still working very hard and they're still trying very hard. I didn't, I didn't think that Lille laid down at all. And that is something that we shouldn't forget that, you know, I think that they would have taken some amount of joy out of defeating Monaco and making their celebrations uh, be on hold for just one more day. But that being said, yeah, it was the goals that Monaco scored, the way they played. It was their season in microcosm. Uh, you've got this brilliant assist from Lamar to Falcao who heads the goal home. Uh, you've got Mbappe doing this wonderful Ronaldo-type step over. If you haven't seen it, uh, do seek yourself out a gift or a highlight on the uh, wherever you, you get that sort of thing from. Uh, standing up front, Barry, and, and then cutting inside, pinging the ball back to Bernardo Silva, who taps home close range. Mbappe had another lovely assist uh, for Falcao as well. Just really a compendium of the way this team plays. Uh, Bakayoko had a great match too. He was all over the place in midfield. Um, and Fabinho and Sidibe looked fairly composed at fullback. It just everybody was, you know, maybe not at their the highest level they've been all season, but uh, was really clicking and purring, and it was really, really good to see that. I, I think that there certainly could have been, at least in terms of this team's confidence, a, a bit of a blowback um, from, from the experience that they'd had against Juventus and realizing that, yes, they've accomplished a lot this season, but there's still more to go if they really want to be considered among the best teams in Europe, both this season and going forward into the future. But a, a great match to watch. I, I know that Philip had mentioned before we started recording that uh, the Monaco match was over before it started. Well, I mean, it was and it wasn't. I, I still think that there was a lot to really enjoy from that match in terms of just seeing this team press home the fact once again that they are such a thrilling team to watch and there's so many ways they can hurt you and they i really do hope that they can build upon that winning the title will give them a seed in the champions league which is going to be massive and i I, i'm very much looking forward to seeing how this team transforms itself in the summer and and to how they progress next year both both domestically and in europe from what i heard and uh, or 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 read 
or saw actually, uh, because I, I was watching the multiplex. It, it did seem like to me like Lille were giving it a good go, who were just not that um, uh, not just that sharp enough in front of goal to score against um, uh, as good a, a defense as Monaco or as good as goalkeepers uh, Subasic is, and that uh, Monaco only had to 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 make a bit of an effort to score. So it was almost, it was almost unfair on on Lille. Well. Subasic was had a really strong match yesterday. I, I didn't. Yeah. For my team, my team of the week, I named Johan Pele because mm-hmm. he he was huge in a match that had bigger implications. But Subasic absolutely mm-hmm. had, had turned into vintage performance. I know we've, I know we've seen him be a little bit hit or miss this season, but he was magnificent on the night. I mean, he's had some notable gaffes against City, Spurs, Bordeaux, but uh, no question, he was he was. Ready. To, I think this means, especially if you think about the role that he has in the team, uh, you also have Germain, Durar, and Raji who've been with the team uh, since they've been in Ligue 2. But Subasic is the only one of those players who plays regularly. And I think that for him, this is a validation not only on a team level, but on a personal level to show, you know, I've he's replaced Picosa's, Croatia's number one, and he's, he's won, he's won a, a Ligue 1 title after being in France's second division. It's an incredible set of achievements for him as an individual as well. Also well, about the game um, with with some friends during the during the week, and uh, the uh, the debate of uh, Camille with uh, Jemison um, actually uh, happened, and uh, most of most of the people I was talking with was that Jemison was only as good as long as he was playing with uh, Camille Gleek. Any um, any opinions on that? Go ahead, go ahead, Eric. I'll let you jump on it if you like. <laughs> I th- I definitely think I mean obviously Jemerson has improved massively this season. Uh, Glick is has been important in terms of that, but uh, there's also individual development on on the part of Jemerson. I mean Glick has missed a handful of matches. He is a player who gets who gets the odd booking, um, mm. and I I think that we shouldn't take that away from 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 Jemerson. I, I think that his adjustment to a new league, his ability to have well, not even a full preseason, though, because Glick was with, Glick was with Poland at the Euros. His, his ability to have more of a preseason with, with his teammates to get more accustomed to play next to a higher quality of player. I mean, let's face it. Wallace, Elderson, Achillage was played out of position sometimes. Raji. Raji's a great a great servant. Don't get me wrong. His versatility has been really important for Monaco this season in managing injuries and suspensions. But Ricardo Covalho, Jefferson simply been played along alongside a higher quality of player. And someone who, you know, despite himself having language barriers, has been, you know, no stranger and not shy to be a directive presence who can also get about the pitch himself. I'm not trying to say that Carvalho in particular wasn't that much of a leader, but and at 36, 37 years old last season, mm-hmm. his effectiveness was certainly limited. But in Glick, you have someone who has that, that sort of skill set, that sort of mentality, that sort of outlook, but is also able to back it up with his ability on the pitch. He's not someone who merely relies on his experience, but he has, I think he's 29, 28. He has the mobility to, and, and the forthrightness to to make that work. So it's Jemerson's development and, and it's Glick. I, I think that there's a lot to be said for that because, again, in the matches that Glick has missed, I know he's been pretty much an ever-present in the league, um, but he has missed a couple in the Champions League. I, I don't think that Monaco have been terribly negatively affected. I think that Jemerson and Raji are still a decent partnership, and that's a testament to the growth that Jemerson's had this season. Yeah, I think I agree with that, and I also think Glick's a really good foil for Jemerson in the in the way they both play. I think that Glick's more, uh, let's say, robust, um, old school might be the other way to put it. Style of defending um, really complements Jemerson a little bit better, who is a little bit quicker, a little bit more. Um, Pass friendly, I suppose, but they complement each other much better than than I thought Carvalho and did with Jemison last season. And more accident prone, wouldn't you say? Less Jemison. so than he used to be. At least, yeah, yeah, probably, he has yeah, probably. But as, uh, as I see Glicker as uh, you know, miss, uh, some kind of Mister Mister Reliable. The thing was, the thing with Jemison is that when he came to Monaco, nobody had heard of him, and Monaco weren't doing 
you know, uh, they, they weren't great to watch. And uh, it, it basically came under the radar. I mean, Glick, to me, was the best centre-back of year 2016, and people actually expected him to uh, to deliver, and, and he did. I mean, for someone who's played a major tournament and went to the uh, later stages of this major tournament, and that would be with Poland, the quarterfinals, he has played 35 games out of uh, out of 36, so he's only missed uh, this one game. He wasn't injured um, once, and he's played the 90 minutes every single time. Uh, scoring six goals, which does help, even though Monaco scored uh, 100 more. Um, but uh, yeah, what what a uh, what a purchase this this has been. It does. It, I I honestly think it doesn't get mentioned enough because um, because uh, everybody uh, thinks well, you know, Glick had a fantastic year 2016, so obviously he's going to be very good. And uh, Monaco uh, basically have uh, have the ball all the time, so they don't need to defend. Blah blah blah. So some some kind of um, um, ignorant uh, coming like that. But I think it needs to be to be commended. Um, uh, Glick and uh, would would be I would I would think in most experts' team of the season. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll hear more from him in the next couple of weeks as we sort of round out the season as well. But let's look a little bit towards their future, really, Eric, and let's see what who might stay and sort of who will go. We already at least have an inkling that it seems like Yuri Tielemans um, of uh, Andelect is practically through the door. Are you looking forward to someone like that? He might possibly see the use of, of Bakayoko or a placement for someone like that who might be more likely to leave. Are you excited to see the Belgian come to France if, if that's the case? Yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic move. I think that if Bakayoko is sold, there have been many links to Chelsea, I think I think that Monaco would do well to get a, a good price for him and, and to bring in Tillmans. They would probably make a profit. Tillmans' fee has been mooted around twenty-two million pounds. I, I would definitely think that Bakayoko could be sold for more than that. Even factoring in the purchase price of Bakayoko, Monaco are, are certainly making money on the deal, and they're also making themselves a more dynamic team. And Bakayoko, sort of, was when he was brought into the team, was seen as sort of Kondogbia light or a replacement for Kondogbia being a big physical presence that could get forward with the ball at his feet, but could sometimes be found a little bit wanting in his passing and his, his, and his uh, positioning. But Fabinho was next to him to mop, help mop up for that, and they, they made a good partnership. Tillmans is, is not that sort of player. He's fantastic getting forward, but he's also much more of an attacking presence. Uh, I believe he's got something in the order of 15 goals, eight assists for under like this season. It might be across all competitions, but... I think those figures certainly represent a player who's got a lot more to contribute to the attack. And I think that if Fabinho stays, I think that this team, in terms of its midfield, becomes even more dangerous, even more dynamic. Uh, Simmons is a smaller player. I think he's 5'9", 5'10", but he's got a real bustling physicality to him. And I think he's going to – I think he could, would make this team even better than it is right now, to be frank. Uh, I, I've only seen him play full matches twice against Saint-Étienne in the Europa League, but he impressed there and, and has continued to do so as he leads on electing to Belgium's very convoluted playoff system uh, for, the, for the Champions League and Europa League at present. But I think he'd be an upgrade on Bakayoko, and I think he's an incredibly wise investment. Um, I think another thing that shouldn't be underestimated is that even as Bakayoko has been a little bit erratic this season, that this really is his first full season. He hasn't had to deal with injury or being in and out of the team. In professional football. I've said this before, I said it again. He's, I know he's 23 this year, but um, you really can't treat Bakayoko as as you can a Bernardo Silva or, or Thomas Lamar, players that have been in, in the side consistently for a much longer period of time. This really is Bakayoko's first complete professional season. Um, so there, there could be more to grow for him. It could be a move that if he does go that Monaco regret, but I think that in Tielemans they're getting a more than adequate replacement and a player that might even be an improvement. Timmons has been a regular with Anderlecht, playing European competitions, playing with the Belgian national team now uh, for quite some time. I think he broke through when he was 16 or 17. He's 19 or 20 now. And and the Belgian league is, as we've seen, certainly been been able to bring through players of a high standard. Uh, I, Premier League fans will certainly know that. I think that we've seen that in, in France as well to some extent. But uh, certainly the quality of player that comes out of the Jupiler League, the Belgian League, is, is of, a, of a high quality, and I, I think that's a really great move for Monaco. Mm, and I think I read the other day, I think he's just about to come up on about 100 appearances for Anderlecht, which at his age is, is pretty remarkable, to be fair, to get someone that with the, that kind of experience at any level, really. Um, 
I just wanted to also very quickly, Philip, get your thoughts on on possibly who might go. Um, is there anyone else, Is there anyone particular in that Monaco team that you think if they if they do leave, it doesn't affect the team as much as it might do, say, an integral part like maybe an Mbappe? Mm, probably not. It's not. It's probably not the worst case. Uh, worst case scenario, I think Monaco have um, not some kind of a plan to replace Mbappe because you don't. You can't really produce an Mbappe every every year, unfortunately. Um, but I I believe that um, even uh, without his um, his stamina and cre- creativity, Monaco will still high flying in front of goal uh, without him. So obviously there'll be less. Um, Hasn't in front of goal. Um, if uh, if Mbappe, Mbappe leaves, and you know everybody, which he 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 doesn't. Um, I I reckon maybe the worst uh, the worst case scenario would be uh, either Lomar Bernardo Silva leaving for Fabinho as well. Uh, 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 looking how how important he has been in in midfield, and he actually played on right back last night. So just just goes to say how how good he is. But yeah, Lemar and Bernardo Silva to to me are almost as important as uh, as Mbappe leaving in creativity and in the movement. It's uh, it, it really is a um, a whole unit. Uh, type of thing for Monaco, so it's very it's very important to to um, to see who they let go um, before before talking about who who may who may come in. And I don't I don't expect any big names to come in. I expect big big names to go out. Unfortunately, no, that that's kind of not Monaco style. Very, very quickly, Eric, best case scenario for Monaco in the summer is that possibly something like selling Bakayoko and and possibly someone like Sidibe getting a healthy profit and then investing that in another three or four young players that can maybe bolster the squad for next season? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll i be honest with you. I, I've had this debate on Twitter with a couple of people. I think that right now, Amami Torre is a better right back than Jibril Sidibe. I know Sidibe mm. is a French international. I know he's fantastic going forward, but he's, there's simply been too many times this season where he's been a liability defensively and positionally. Uh, Torre's got more pace. He's got more physicality. He's not quite as dynamic going forward, but I think that if you're... I think that with, with a player like Bernardo Silva, who who lacks somewhat in physicality and not a work ethic, but just an ability to cope in terms of tracking back, you really need a player who's going to be responsive defensively, who's going to be who's going to get forward, but but do it selectively. Uh, I, and I think that I think that selling City Bay for a profit. I know Arsenal have been linked in the past. He didn't go there because of because of his doubts about playing time. Uh, but if Barcelona come in for Bellerin in the summer, which a lot of people think they might. I think that selling City Bay to a club like Arsenal makes a lot of sense, and that maybe we should hope that player that pe- that observers in the Premier League uh, might not be watching City Bay as closely as we have been, and, and see that he can be somewhat of a liability. Uh, I think that's I think that selling him is absolutely no skin off off Monaco's nose at all. I think that that's a move that they should maybe even seek to make, uh, as it could be a potential bulwark against other players being forced to leave in terms of the club's financial pressures. It would be an unbelievably Arsenal signing for them to sign City Bay. It, it just would be typical Arsene Wenger. I can I can just see it. Yeah, please Arsene, get your get your checkbook out. That would be yes. nice. bank roll. <laughs> I, I actually actually think on 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 the matter, I I, I agree on the whole. Even though Tua hasn't played as much, um, so it's difficult to uh, to compare. As the uh, was was quite immense at the beginning of the season. Uh, there he's had a bit of a, a little injuries and stuff, but it's more yeah, it's more about the uh, concentration lapses. Um, and how Toure has been uh, quite more reliable than than Sibir. So I do I do agree on Eric. I mean Monaco can can let him go. It's not a problem. Even though you know we were definitely not saying that back in September or October where he was quite good. Mm. Yeah, I, I think he added a nice balance at the start of the season, but he's slowly but surely. I mean the. I think the game against Juventus was the best of evidence of he seemed to thoroughly enjoy being having the uh, ability to go much further forward than he was probably allowed to at right back. He seemed uh, very pleased to be not worrying as much about his defensive responsibilities. But uh, we'll move on because we don't want to give too many people a, a bit of notice that he might not be the greatest yeah. signing this summer. Let's let's yeah. keep this away from Wenger. Um, so one thing that is not as clear-cut as the title race is the relegation, which will go down to the wire in the last day of the season. Uh, Nancy will probably need a small miracle to really stay up, but Bastia, Lorient, Caen and Dijon are all scrapping for first survival. They're all within about four points of each other. And let's start with that surprise result in uh, Corsica. 
really, Eric. Uh, can they complete this Houdini act and, and fully escape? I, yeah, absolutely. I, and like I said, th what makes the difference for the teams down the bottom of the table are having players who can break a match open. Now, with Bastia, I would have said that's Enzo Crivelli, that's Alan St. Maximin, based on what they've done this season. Maximin didn't even start, which really surprised me, looking at the 11s uh, yesterday afternoon afternoon here in Mexico uh, when I was watching the matches. and But then you have a player that comes on, and it's Gael Danic, who's 35, 36 years old at this point, former Valencia and, and Leon player, uh, and scores has a lovely assist for Crivelli, but then scores absolutely incredible goal to seal the result, 2-0 with about seven minutes to play. And, and that's the thing, that if you look at a Nasi, if you look at some of these other teams that are down here, uh, if you look at a Lorient without Sylvain Marveau, without Benjamin Mukanjo, they don't have those players who can turn a match, uh, who as an offensively challenged team, who can turn a match at the drop of a hat. And that's given Bastia a chance to, to follow this up. Nancy haven't had that. Dijon had that. They've got Frederick Samaritano, another veteran player who's been in the league, you know, a decade, uh, and and who who did who did the same thing. Um, and yeah, it's and, and that's what makes the difference. Donich, I was just poking around on the league website. The weekend he made his debut, George Weah started at center forward for Marseille. <laughs> just 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 think about that. He's a player who's been who's been in French football for a long time, and and that's and that's what makes the difference. Uh, he a player who can have that moment of creativity, that that burst of inspiration to allow these teams to separate themselves uh, in a given match, and who have that better experience. I mean, let's face it, Valenciennes, I, I think Donix played for five or six seasons, were never yeah. a team at a high level. They were always battling for relegation. But so often, a player, Donix can make the difference for them. I mean, that's why he was brought to Leon. He wasn't bought as a, as, as a starter for Leon, but he had that, that moment of inspiration, that moment of genius, that veteran while that could really make the difference. And, and I think that that, that, that was... What was key to that match yesterday is is that inspired substitution from Moyameda. And that's the important I think, thing. From, sorry, carry on, Philip. I think I think Valencian did have a couple of good good seasons. Well, they didn't finish uh, like in the European place or anything, but they're a very, a very solid uh, mid mid table side. And this, uh, I think, I believe this is the 9 10 season when they finished tenth, um, with uh, a lot of uh, other other players having a very good season, and that you maybe were more hopeful uh, than um, um, than we may than we may think. It's just I just didn't. Didn't go that well for for Danigat at Lyon. He, I mean, he 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 did have one or two quality quality seasons, and it's no real wonder, even at, at his age, that he performs the way he does. Mm, and it, it it's it's imp impressive that a little spark like that from sometimes an older generation can really help a team out. But an an interesting wrinkle to the upturn in, in uh, Bastia's results recently, especially Philip, is, is the fact that they've played two games away from home, two games with yeah. uh, empty stadiums, and they've picked up two wins. Uh, it's maybe a little bit unheard of, really, but as, it might be a strange way of saying it, but has being, being away from the Fioriani helped them? I think the f uh, <laughs> I think the opposition did help, uh, did help a little bit. Um, Ren are... Uh, I'm going to say easy to beat um, these days, uh, even more so that their season is is over. Um, they have uh, quite a horrific away record with only uh, two away wins. Actually, one of them was uh, was last uh, last night. Uh, a lot of draws, um, but uh, still, uh, what yeah, what what is uh, one of um, not not a great side to uh, uh, to support uh, when you're when you're traveling as uh, as an away fan. And I was actually quite. Um, disappointed in Lorient uh, yesterday. I, I honestly thought that uh, with uh, with the empty stadium, with uh, less uh, um, less people supporting supporting Bastia, they I mean they would have the necessary qualities to to beat them uh, in on which is a neutral ground um, with no you know with with no fans. I thought I think that uh, the likes of Wakazo or Yadier 
uh, and the like uh, would be uh, would be more than fired up for a game like this. And you know, it's it's quite it's quite horrific to 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 think that last year have a chance to stay up despite what happened and and the extremely light punishment they received for what happened uh, actually i mean it would be it would be completely disastrous for a club like that to be able to play top division football next season um when you know that their fans attack attack players on 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 the pitch but on on the game i mean they did deserve they did deserve to uh, to win 2-0 and they weren't the thing is, they don't really lose. They haven't really lost that many games at home, and they're quite hard to beat at home. So it's more. It's more to answer the question. It's more about the weakness of the Brittany side that visited uh, than Bastia being, uh, uh, you know, absolutely superb when when no uh, no fans are attacking players. Amen. Another interesting result at the weekend that involved those relegation side was Dijon's win at Nancy mm. that uh, that sees them. Probably the favourites at the moment to stay up, but they would need a, a pretty random set of results at least to be guaranteed to go down automatically. Eric, how big was that win against Nancy? I mean, this was. I mean, I don't think that anybody looking at the run in for these relegation threatened sides really saw Bastia as being a threat. I, I think that this match was targeted as the match of the weekend. These teams are fairly close geographically, about two and a half, three hours from each other. Uh, so it was always going to be a, a feisty atmosphere, uh, and it certainly was. I think Dijon, uh, it, you know, turned in a great performance. They they were missing some key players. Uh, Fouad Shafiq has been really good for them at right back. Uh, he was out, and they had to use the youngster Valentin Rossier. And but yeah, the team performed really well. Uh, Frederick Samaritano was was incandescent uh, with a goal and an assist, and then they. They sailed it off after after Dione scored at the end of the season. And again, in Dione, in Samaritano, and I think uh, there's a lot to be said also for uh, the young Korean player, uh, Chung Hyun Kwan, that they signed in the winter window. Uh, they have these players that can that have a lovely ability, a lovely vision, a lovely attacking mindset to break a match open. And if we can see that again, you know, from Dijon who play in a positive style and who aren't, if this team aren't destroyed in the summer, I know Pierre-Lise Malou, we saw him being linked to Nice. Uh, we've seen Lois Dione being linked to a host of clubs. Uh, if they're not destroyed in the summer, uh, I think this team can maybe even kick on. I'm not saying European place, but it can be both attractive to watch and not relegation threat next season. Uh, I think that they've, you know, Olivier Delio has done a really wonderful job under somewhat limited resources and, there's a lot to build on in this team. Just, you know, well done to them. I, I do hope that they survive. Uh, going to Toulouse, Toulouse have not really been at the races since they've fallen away from those European places. They had that brief little flash of form when Angel Lore first time with the team, but in the last 10 matches or so, they've really not been uh, very good. And I think that that's not an ideal match to close the season with, but I, I think certainly if you're going to have to go away on the road uh, at this point in time, Toulouse is not really a bad option amongst league on opposition. Yeah, especially when you're looking at the for Dijon to be automatically relegated, it would require Bastia to win away at Marseille. It would require a Lorient win over Bordeaux at home, and also Con to pick up a point against Paris Saint Germain. Um, pretty unlikely circumstances, but you've Thing seen. Where's your accumulator, Nathan? Yeah, <laughs> put on it. <laughs> that yeah, so, carry on, Philip. Uh, saying this, Nancy are playing Saint Etienne. I honestly can see them beating Saint Etienne. It's not impossible, even though you know they're not they're not uh, they're not uh, terrific. Saint Etienne are also uh, quite uh, quite in uh, in a horrific form, and it's not you know it's not impossible. If there ever if there were ever a team uh, in the top half that Nancy could be, it would be it would be Saint Etienne. So if results go their way, it could it could happen. But you know it's uh, yeah, um, it's a lot to ask. And it's still, even it's if they do that, it's still a lot to ask. Yeah, true. And it, it, even if they do, it's the strange feeling of they would have, well, we'll get onto it later, but it'll be a, a relegation playoff place instead, which is at least a little bit of a salvation rather than going automatically down. But uh, to talk about yeah, that, I was thinking, go ahead. I, I was thinking if Basu do get a playoff place, where do they play? Mm, that's do, they get to play uh, do, do they get to play that Fuliani in a full house? Or. Or do, do they keep do they keep playing this um, uh, at uh, in in south in the south of France? 
with no with nobody uh, allowed to watch would be a bit you know a bit bad for you know the uh, promotion of the playoff. Right. Yeah, My understanding was that the, the match extends of one ma the ban extends one match beyond the end of the season for them, with with the idea that they could have potentially qualified for that playoff spot. Mm. What a harsh punishment they had. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, moving Amazing. on to the 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 other game in that that um, bottom of the table, and that was Cohn's defeat to Wren, which on the on the view of the replay, uh, uh, Philip, it was it was a frustrating one for the home side who had a number of little chances where they maybe should have gone ahead, and then a, a little bit of a crazy goal really from Giovanni Sia, where I'm not hundred percent sure he meant to head it like he headed it, but it did, and it went in, and it's put Cohn back right back into the mixer, hasn't it? Actually, I couldn't remember Shields' goal spe specifically, but now that you mentioned this, the description, I see exactly how uh, how ridiculous this goal this goal was because uh, Shields was basically in midair and he somehow headed the ball perfectly into uh, Verkut's uh, uh, left uh, top left hand uh, left hand corner. Uh, a game between two two poor sides really, and Corn uh, looked to me like a side that had. Uh, not much, uh, not much passion. Not much going on for them uh, at all, really. Um, very, very little chances. Uh, pretty much a pathetic display. One, one that we've seen many, many times. And it's strange because they are capable of being, being quite good. I mean, they did beat Nice uh, well, a long, long time ago. But uh, they, they are capable of not being too bad, uh, even at home. But uh, it just, uh, to me, this side deserves to go down. It's plain and simple. Uh, it would. Uh, just, just not enough fights. Uh, much less fights than at Bastia. Much less fights uh, than uh, Lorient, Dijon. It just, it just deserved to. And nobody's into any doubt of the results uh, next uh, next Saturday um, at PSG's ground. Mm, I, I, I have a theory on the on the CO header that he he was in the air and he did his usual header, which usually spoons over the bar. But because he's such a yeah. perpendicular <laughs> angle and he's got such a fifty p head, it just deflected into where it should have gone instead of going uh, wildly out of the it's, stadium. <laughs> it somehow went in. Nobody's quite sure how. It just somehow went in. It it's, almost, like, it's like when, when you see a player wanting to cross the ball, but actually the, 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 uh, the cross is so uh, badly uh, badly uh, struck that it ends in the back of the net. It's uh, just, yeah. To me, it's that type of goal. Yeah, there was a lot of people really enjoying that goal, but I, I don't get it myself. Um, uh, Eric, they've got... Calm couldn't really ask for a more difficult game to end the season away at Paris Saint-Germain so with them sat on 36 points with other teams possibly motivated to get above them knowing that they've got such a difficult game are they a little bit of a sitting duck at the moment? Absolutely I, I think that PSG do have the Coupe de France final after this and I you better believe that the players that are in the, going to be picked to start for this match are going to be giving it their all they want to be on that pitch at the Stade de France uh, come next Sunday they, and and that's sort of, that's something they shouldn't be underestimating. This is not a PSG at the beach. Even the title's been not well. Probably by the time that kicks off, will be will be not theirs. And it's yeah, it's a bad end to Count's season. And if they do go down, I mean, as Phil Pertley said, they've had their moments. But I don't understand some of the choices that were made uh, to start Ronnie Rutland on the bench as they have for each of the last three matches, I think. I don't think he started in, uh, and certainly not last weekend either. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah, he didn't start against Toulouse either, and to lose both of those matches 1-0 when you have... He started against Marseille. He did, he started... against... He did start against Marseille. He started uh, all the games from uh, early February until the Marseille game. He started all of them. So I'm not well, quite sure why either uh, Garand would you know, say, yeah, it's your fault. Yeah, Somehow. I mean, to lose 1-0 to Ren and to lose mid-table teams with nothing to play for uh, with a player who's, if you've seen Khan this season, I know Santini gets gets the goals, but absolutely Ronnie Rodelin is the best attacking player on that team. Uh, if you've got some issue with him, if you're Garand, if you're trying to pull a power trip, you, you need to put that aside because you're, in, you're now in real danger of putting this team uh, back into the mire. I, I think that it's it's a it's a frustrating set of circumstances that was eminently avoidable, uh, even as they did beat Toulouse. Yeah. Calamo has his moments. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to agree with I'm that. Trying to defend the call, you know. 
and it's, it, it is tough this season to be very fair. difficult they've, they've been very very uh, up and down is probably the best way to say it um so let's get some final predictions because there's only one weekend left um i want both your relegated sides and then who you think will be finishing in the relegation playoffs i'll start with you philip who's going down and who will be in the playoffs I'm not going to be very um, uh, dramatic. I think the bottom two will remain the bottom two. I don't think Bastion will do anything at Marseille. Uh, won't get, be getting points. I think Marseille are still very much in the run for fifth. They want to finish fifth. So they won't be able to finish fourth. as They are set, uh, now seven points behind uh, Lyon. Uh, so I think it will be a defeat for uh, Bastia and uh, one all draw. Uh, between Nancy and Saint-Étienne. So, Nancy to finish bottom of the league with 33 points, Bastia with 34. And your playoff? Oh. Um, yeah, I think it'll be Caen. And I really hope hope we do. Uh, I'll explain that in a moment. Eric? Uh, I think that the bottom three as they stand. I don't see... I could see Dijon getting a points, but I don't see anything coming from the, the rest of those teams. I think they've just got too much to overcome. I, I think that even though Satentian might be on the beach, I, that's not, I don't really foresee Nazi winning by a large margin. So whether it's Nazi and Bastia or Bastia and Nazi is the bottom two, I don't think that's going to change. And, mm. and uh, yeah, I don't think I don't see Laurent getting anything against Khan either. Or I getting anything against Bordeaux. Yeah, okay, I, well, I can see a draw. It's... I still think Bordeaux want Bordeaux will be frustrated by the manner in which they lost to Marseille yesterday, and I think that they're going to want to they're going to want to go all out in that match to uh, push the, uh, to push OM uh, all the way to the wire. Mm. I, I'm going to agree with Philip. I, I think it'll be Bastien Nancy to go down automatically, and I think I think Lorient might draw against Bordeaux. I, I think I just have that one of those feelings, and that would really irritate Con that they. Went down essentially. Well, went on to the playoffs at least didn't it? because of a goal difference. It it would really frustrate them, and that perfectly leads us on to our our next topic, which is really the relegation playoff itself. And um, it'll take place after the season's conclusion, obviously, with for the first time ever. And it's similar to the, what you see in the Bundesliga, which is third bottom will play third in league dirt in a two-legged playoff uh, who, to see who plays top flight football next season. And it's been a a topic for for most all season. It's it's. In, increase bottom a competitive some would argue at the bottom of the table to others it's seen as a device really to keep the powers of league uh, in the top tier but philip where do you fall on that spectrum well you're gonna understand that uh, we were quite close uh, the uh, the lfp with the Fredetias, we were quite, cl- quite close to have um um a change where only the bottom two under and um, the bottom two of league out would be would get relegated and the top two of league two would get promoted and uh that would have meant uh, even uh, less drama at the bottom of the table because uh, there are some seasons where you have two very very bad sides i'm thinking about last season with uh with uh loss uh actually there was uh mets and loss but it wasn't last it was a couple of seasons back um and uh, the top two was already settled there were like 10 points uh, behind uh, the third bottom with uh 15 games to go, so it was ridiculous. There was absolutely no no drama. Now, the playoff system is the same playoff system they have in Germany. Um, most of the time, the top division side wins, you know, logically. Um, but uh, I think it's a step in the right direction. France is uh, was, uh, until this uh, playoff was uh, installed, uh, one of the last countries not to have, um, not to have worked uh, with... Um, uh, playoff system. It's not my favourite one, but uh, I think it adds uh, a bit more drama to uh, to uh, the end of the season, and that, that actually means that the season, the league season, um, does not end after the 38th match day. Then there's uh, this this type of playoff, and uh, I think uh, it's between it's usually between um, uh, size of uh, reasonable reasonably sized sized town. I mean, imagine if it's Caen against Troyes. Uh, you have uh, you have a lot of people attending. It'll be quite uh, uh, quite entertaining for uh, for the neutral. It would be it would be actually quite uh, yeah. It would be actually quite nice. So I'm. It's not my favourite. Uh, I think the English one is uh, quite ex- exciting as well. So uh, third against sixth and fourth against fifth in the final at uh, at, a, at a major stadium. Uh, but uh, yeah, I prefer it to uh, what it used to be, which is a three go down, three go up, a bit boring. 
Eric, it, it was possibly a worry at the start of the season that the, the playoff would change how how things end up at the bottom of the table. But it's it's potentially given some sides that may have been dead and buried in the, the old system a little bit more hope, hasn't it? Absolutely. I think that the how close things are in League 2 and a way, the way that a lot of those teams play, if they're not doing it necessarily through financial might as Ryan's tried and failed to do this season, they're doing it through placing faith in youngsters and through playing attractive attacking football. And those are the types of teams that we need to see succeed in League 2. We, we need to see, see earn promotion as, as a means of a reward. To playing attractive football is instead of grinding out results I think is always going to catch the eye and, and boost the reputation of France internationally as this team, as this, sorry, as this league seeks to make itself uh, more successful in terms of emerging audiences. Uh, that's a you know very holistic t- take on things, but I, I, I think that it also in terms of drawing audiences within France, which, can, which a lot of teams have struggled to do in the recent past as well, uh, is also important. Playing football, quote unquote, the right way is important, and being being able to reward a wider variety of styles, especially in a league like League Two that can often be so negative, is really important to give that chance. And as Philip Bradley says, I, I think the Lons and Mets from 2014-15 uh, uh, is a good argument, but at the same time, this season there's there's more of a mix, but it also you know allows a little bit more of a lifeline. I think that. Generally, you don't get three teams that are cut adrift. So that third team uh, will at least have some redeeming values to it. Um, and I, I think that that's a good thing as well from a league on perspective. So, yeah, I, I absolutely defend the playoffs. I think that it, it allows more teams to to feel that they've, they've got a chance uh, rather than what theory is, as Philip Bradley said, had wanted to do. Uh, I would probably lean towards three up, three down myself being a better alternative, honestly. I think that for the reasons I had previously delineated in terms of helping League 2, but I also understand Theory is wanting to make League 1 more attractive to particularly foreign investment, that you're more likely to get that sort of investment if, you're more li- if your team is statistically more likely to stay in the league. Uh, and I, I think that you know we've seen with the adventures, or misadventures rather, of teams like Charlton and, and Blackburn in England, uh, how that can go wrong very quickly if relegation becomes a factor. Uh, Philip, let's, we've sort of said the spectrum of it really being a maybe a tool that's made it more interesting at the bottom of League 1, but in League 2, it's been very close near the top of the table, especially at the end of the season, And but that would have been, probably been just as exciting if three were to go up, if not more, in the sense that teams know that a win would guarantee them promotion. It, at least in... Maybe this year is not the greatest example, but might this affect League 2 in the future in the sense that a couple of teams might spend a little bit more to to make sure they have enough to go up or maybe some teams give up the ghost a little bit earlier because they may think a third place is a little bit of a risk because if taking the Bundesliga for the example, there's not many teams from the second division that tend to win that playoff. Um, is that maybe a risk as well for, for the for the second division? Well, I think not a lot of uh, the as if as the uh, French clubs have uh, given have as much uh, thought as you have, Nathan. I mean, quite quite yet. I I, I believe that uh, League Two being what it is, uh, teams are very um, uh, not to say negative, but more pessimistic about uh, about the whole thing. Is that uh, it's always about uh, taking the three points, taking the game. Uh, week after week, blah blah blah, being uh, not not giving the the journalists many uh, a lot of uh, major punchlines to uh, to to add to the uh, uh, to the report. So, yeah, I, I can I can quite see uh, most of the twenty squad saying, okay, well we're we're planning on finishing third, but it's still going to be very difficult because it's going to be against uh, against the league outside uh, this season even more so. This is why I I honestly do want call to finish in that playoff spot uh, because I, I think it would make for a very entertaining game uh, meaning uh, defend, defending being not not very good um, whereas I can see I can see Lorient beating the likes uh, of uh, of Trois or Amiens Amiens are really not that you know really not that good a team and yet they're the second Strasbourg are top Strasbourg have been okay shall we say but they've conceded a lot of goals it's um 
that's, it's still going to be, uh, we don't want to finish fourth, but we definitely don't want to finish third uh, either. Third place is very rarely uh, decided before the uh, the final day in uh, in Ligue 2. And um, I, this season, it won't be no different, obviously, because uh, the top side has um, three points more than, uh, than six. There's only uh, three points separating first from six, which is quite, quite amazing. But it says a lot about the quality of the, of the league as well. It means that the top side has only 64 points, whereas in, in Liga, the top side has, uh, you know, 89. It's, it's a world, it's a world of difference. And no side has really come off and been, uh, um, and has been that good or that, that consistent. So it's, hmm. Still, still, uh, so, um, the side who finishes so will be happy because they have to play a game of the of their season, really. But uh, still, you can you can just see um, League Two being League Two, saying, "Well, uh, we're not favourites. Let's try and do our best." Mm. That's basically the motto. Yeah, and and the thing we also sometimes forget about in these kind of situations is those two that do automatically go down it's also going to be much more difficult to go back up again in the sense that there's one less spot to go back up into. So mm. it does an interesting right. catch-22 with it. Mm. Um, let's we'll finish this uh, week's podcast really with uh, a, a little bit of a chat of that Marseille game at the, at the weekend and, and Marseille earning a draw against Bordeaux in the end. And it's the former now in Marseille that, control their destiny Eric um, they both play relegation sides as we've already mentioned so they're not really guaranteed victory but um, how would how big of a hit would it be to Loem if they were to miss out now I mean it, it, I don't think they're really words I think that being in the position that they were to and to have that level of, of talent to have that level of investment they've, they've evinced already in January to not get Europe given how poor well not poor given how inconsistent teams have been around them, it would be a, r- a real disappointment. Now, again, the only way that Marseille or Bordeaux don't get Europe is if Angers beat PSG in the Coupe de France final. It's not out of their own possibility, but, I mean, let's be realistic. I, I, don't, I don't think that any of us see... Uh, Angers did, did manage to get, get a point from PSG in the league earlier this season, but, the, you know, PSG obviously had other concerns at the time, but I think that in a, in a cup final, it's going to be quite a bit more difficult for PSG to be beaten uh, so yeah it would it would be huge i mean i think that the carrot of the europa league will be key in luring away players who are perhaps in some of france's uh, less highly regarded teams mid-table teams uh, i think that it was certainly probably key in luring the likes of someone like say morgan sanson uh, who has been fantastic for montpellier but again you know i think since the destruction of that title winning team in terms of sales and and players simply aging out of the squad, that you're not gonna, you're not gonna have a realistic hope of reaching the Europa League places with Montpellier, uh, even with players like like Muni and Budabuz. But you know, being able to offer a project that, you know, has bigger ambitions in the Europa League, but is already reaching a demonstrably higher level of play than they had in the previous season, is is an important carrot for uh, Marseille's summer transfer window. Yeah, and the, concentrating on uh, really Marseille's rise as well, really, Philip. It, it, uh, if we just spoke about this sort of January time, we would have never really believed it. But it, it, this is an important step, really, for their project, isn't it? To European football could really help them attract the talent that will sort of maybe push them towards that top four spot that they'll probably be looking for next season. European football and money, yeah, uh, it's. Uh... Again, I don't think that uh, Europa League is necessarily uh, going to be good for the cl- for next season. It's going to be good for the club uh, because it's Marseille. It's the biggest club in the country, um, and uh, they need to have uh, to have good players. They need to have a good season. They've they've had a fine season. I mean, especially comparing to if you compare to last season, where there were only only 13s. But there's so much things to be that need to be settled. Uh, first, first, uh, first thing being um, the the uh, pending future of Bafim Tibi Gomis, uh, who is on loan uh, from uh, from Swansea, and uh, I think everybody uh, wants him to to stay. I'm not, I'm, I don't think Swansea absolutely want Bafim Tibi Gomis to to go to go back to to South Wales. 
I just think that's um, a nice little uh, preseason. No European football, no uh, no Thursday game kickoff uh, would be a great um, great start to uh, actually a, a very calm way of starting the season and say, okay, we want to finish in the top three, which you know could happen if Lucien Favre does leave Nice. There was uh, there was uh, I read a rumor today that he may be going uh, to to Dortmund, which would uh, make uh, the race for so quite exciting for next season. Um, but of course, uh, it's good. It's good that this club is in Europe, uh, as it is such a such a great um, ad for French football. But uh, if uh, if Marseille want to make bottom three, I'm not quite sure it's going to be to their to their advantage. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it will be. It worked for Nice, uh, who dumped the who um, who dumped the Europa League. It's uh, you know we shall see. It's, I think it's always an interesting thing to think about thinking, especially another team that's in that sort of kind of situation in a different league, obviously Manchester United, mm. winning that sort of trophy. And not only is another trophy in the cabinet, but a Champions League spot where you've maybe struggled in the league a little bit that season, although that might have been the adverse effect of it, does sometimes give you that extra open door that incentivise teams that are stronger to be in that Europa League competition although it might again not be the same kind of road that they've had this season but again at the same time if if they miss out it's a it's going to be a lot of backlash at the same time um very briefly sort of finish the UNFP awards are going on as we've been talking and one of the strange really awards we have our own awards in two weeks which I promise you will be much better really looking at the the, some of the ones that have been given out. I, d- I do want to bring up one very quickly, uh, Eric, and that's the goalkeeper one, which has been won by uh, Daniel Subasic, who's had a, a solid season. But if you look at our um, award nominees, he's not even in that list. Can you? Is that a justified choice for, for such a prestigious award? Given the competition that he faced in that award, it was uh, Lopez, Trap, and... Sorry, who was the fourth? Was it It was uh, uh, Ruffier. Right. I I have no problem with that. I I think given that competition, Ruffier was fantastic earlier in the season. He's been a little bit less at the races in 2017. Uh, Lopez, even as a Leon fan, he's had his moments this season, but again, not been as consistent as he'd like like from him. And trap. I mean, there's nothing to say about that. Yeah, I, I have no problem with that. I, I think it would, it would, in, t- in terms of their performance over the course of a season. Again, I know, I know, uh, Superstitious has had his gaffes, but he's not a player who uh, is as objectively can be as objectively uh, mediocre as Trap or uh, or Lopez. So I, I have no problem with that. He's yeah, me neither. I mean, it would have been. It, it would have been quite uh, bizarre to see Kevin Trapp win it. I mean, that would have been quite unacceptable. But uh, Suvazic is, you know, it's fine. I'll blame the but, nominees more than anything, then, shall I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's more, it's more a question of uh, what, what the hell is Trapp doing there? I mean, seriously, <laughs> that's uh, that's that's uh, that's most of the shocker. But so Suvazic, you know, the the, the keeper who who won the who is going to win the league and who yeah didn't concede a lot of goals. Uh, I'm not sure if Monaco has the best defence. Actually, 29 goals conceded in 36 is okay, but not, you know. Uh, uh, I don't know. Mm, and we, looking at the, the, we shall, we shall, we shall vote for the correct keeper in two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and a very quick mention for the for the team of the season. It does involve a couple of interesting choices. There's Subasic, uh, Mondi, Thiago Silva, Glick, Sidibe, mm. Seri, Verratti, Silva, Mbappe, Cavani, Lacazette. No Fabinho. No Fabinho. Mm. Eric? I Yeah, I, I would agree. I think Fabinho has been the best player in Liga. He's been uh, consistent. He's been reliant. He's allowed Monaco to make that transition from what had been a fairly negative side under Minera's regime in the first two years of his tenure to one who's when it's open, when it's attacking, and when it's positive. And that's what's made them a thrill to watch, and, and not only that, but successful. I, I think that that's ludicrous that he's not, A, a the player of the year. I, I Silva's had a great season, and I'm not taking anything away from his achievements. But, yeah, 
<laughs> there's really not much of a debate as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and Cavani, best player of the season? Really? It's the goals, Philip. It's all about the goals. Yeah, it's all about the goals. It's all about, you know, the attacking players. It's all about, you know, I mean... He has, been, try, he has been try, better. Try and watch some football, you know. I, I don't know. It's... I, it's, it's more, it's more, yeah, media cash machine more than anything else. You know, give it, give the people what they what they want. But uh, when when you actually look at it, he has been terrific, of course, of course. I mean, he scored forty goals. You, you can't possibly think he doesn't deserve it. But uh, it's it seems like just far too obvious. Mm. Let's well, take the top scorer. That, that'll do. Yeah, they'll give the people what That's they it. want. We'll give them what where they need in two weeks' time. I'm, I'm exactly. almost certain That's... in that. The best way of putting it, isn't it? <laughs> That's all the time we uh, we have time for this week. Uh, my thanks to Eric and Philip and to everyone listening at home. Uh, join us for the preview show hosted by Eric for the final time this season on Thursday. And we'll see you here for a full review. It will be a two-hour special at the same time, same place next week. Uh, Abianto and goodbye.